Welcome to the Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history podcast, a series exploring the rich, nuanced history of Grambling State University, the city of Grambling, and the people who make it. This series is a collaborative project between students and faculty of the History Department of Grambling State University, as well as faculty from the University of Arkansas. The Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history project, has been made possible in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities in partnership with the Social Science Research Council. Additional funding was provided by the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Social Science Research Council, or the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. I am talking to Deborah Ann Algiers, and I am Brian McGowan. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? I grew up on a dairy farm in Menominee, Wisconsin, and uh, I have my dad and my mom and a younger brother, lots of cousins, and I went to high school in Menominee, pretty normal for the 70s, uh, graduated in 75, and uh, w- went to college in Eau Claire. I guess when I was a kid, the most important thing on the, after helping my dad with farming, we bailed a lot of hay and took care of a lot of cows and uh, we played a lot of softball. I was in 4-H. Just a kind of a normal rural childhood. Menominee, is that near Eau Claire? It's about 35 miles west of Eau Claire. Did that play a role in you deciding to go to Wisconsin-Eau Claire? Yeah, I, I wanted to probably become a vet, but at that time, Wisconsin didn't have a vet program. Didn't want to pay out-of-state tuition, paid for my own way through school. So uh, my next um, favorite thing in the world to do is reading and history. So Eau Claire had a good program, so that's what I picked for my second choice. Did you major in, in English and history at Eau Claire? Yes. So once you were at Wisconsin-Eau Claire, did you decide to join the exchange program to Grambling? I had some wonderful professors, and um, one of them suggested because I um, was in a creative writing program, and he would read my stuff in class, but I didn't want anybody in the class to know that I wrote it. And uh, so he sat me down and said, do you want to get off this? Do you want to get rid of this shyness pretty quickly? And I said, "Um," I wasn't quite sure, and he said, uh, that there were some students there from Grambling that semester, and uh, one of them was in my English class, and um, I don't remember who she was at the time, but she basically told me it was a small school in northern Louisiana, and she was having issues with it being so cold up in Wisconsin. I think she stayed the whole semester, and I said, well, you know, I think if she can come up here, I can go down there. So we got together with the I think one of the advisors that was ahead of the program at the time, and he made it happen. What did your friends and family think about you going to Grambling? My parents actually drove me down there, and they had never been out of... My mother had um, lived out in California for a while, but that was, you know, years back. So they drove me down to Louisiana, and they were going to spend a day or so with me because we uh, got there like uh, a week before school started just so I could get assimilated with the campus. And uh, my mom saw the biggest tree roach at the time. I guess it was a tree roach. She saw the biggest bug she ever saw in her life. 
and they basically dropped me off and <laughs> and said, "We're going back to Wisconsin." <laughs> <laughs> they were. Uh, I think they were apprehensive that I was going away from home for the first time. And I don't know if they were really thinking I was going to stay. I think they were just a little apprehensive that I wasn't going to make it, you know. But they were willing to let me try it. So my dad always said, never pass up an opportunity to learn something. So that's kind of what happened. What about friends of yours? I think they were, they were, I think, surprised from one standpoint. I always hated cold weather, and uh, I saw it as an opportunity to do a semester and not have to deal with cold weather, too. So they were going, oh, if you have an opportunity to go south, go. And I think that was their take on that. They were pretty positive that I could, uh, I could, I could do it, and I think they were excited for me. You participated in this program in the spring of 1979. 79. Yeah. Yep. So th- that was near the end of this program's lifetime. It it ended up Oh. I, I think 1980 was the last year that any that this program um ran. One of the reasons it was created in the first place was to sort of help integration and and from a very civil rights perspective. Did that play any role in in your decision to go to Grambling? Were were you aware of civil rights issues? Was this something that was on your radar at all in the spring of 79? Or actually, I guess it was probably the Um, fall of 79 when you made your decision to go. Well, I mean, I had read um, quite a few things, uh, Mississippi burning books, books and things like that, of how hard it was to get voter black voters and, and, you know, through the 50s and 60s and so I was aware of the history but it wasn't real to me you know it wasn't real to me that I was going to be talking to you know black students that had hadn't had much deal you know hadn't had much interaction with um, white kids before and um, I think Grambling the kids that were from Chicago and in and, and California they definitely had a bigger I guess world perspective of what what you know was out there, but some of the rural kids from Louisiana that were going to Grambling um, would come up and talk to me, and some of their takes on what what they believed to be was you know what Wisconsin was for them. They were funny in one respect, but it was kind of a, a mutual what I thought Louisiana was. I remember one incident when. Um, these girls came up to me and asked me if I knew Laverne and Shirley from the TV show. And I had to say, no, I've I've never even been to Milwaukee, you know? So, so in that respect, I had never been to even a, a, a big city outside of maybe Minneapolis, you know, the fact that they thought in some respect that we all lived like Richie Cunningham or something, happy days. That was kind of a shock, but you know, by the same token, I just kind of thought, Louisiana was, you know, all alligators and, you know, Mardi Gras, you know, I just, I never put it in, I don't know, you, you're, you're so young and you don't, I don't think you think about that you're being a part of something bigger than yourself when you're living it. And then afterwards, you come away with this perspective that, wow, I did something that, a lot of people would never want to do or never could do. 
you're kind of proud of yourself. And I had to give, you know, the kids that came up to me and asked me stuff, that took a lot of courage for them to think that I can talk to this person and they're just like me. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I see exactly what you're saying. And I can also see how your professor would have thought that that would help break you out of your shyness. Oh, it did because I, yeah, I mean, I, uh, there wasn't a day that didn't go by that, um, people wouldn't ask me questions or, um, want to know about me or want me to be a part of something that they were doing. I think they, you know, like, uh, they, there was a club there, a small club called, I think it was called Renaissance and we need you to go, uh, you, we need to go to this club, and I, I didn't, I didn't, never even danced. I didn't, I wasn't a dancer. And well, we got, we got to go to this club, and, and we're going to teach you how to dance. And I thought, well, okay, well, we're going to have to teach you how to dance before we go to the club because you don't want to look stupid, <laughs> you know. And okay, and um, you know, it was you have to go to all the talent shows, and they were fantastic, and you have to go to the concerts and the basketball games, and. I think I did more socializing in one semester than I had done in my whole life up until that point because I was going, they were inviting me to everything. And I'm like, well, I have to study tonight. Well, no, there's a basketball game and we're playing, you know, TSU or something. You got to be there. <laughs> so, of course, I went. So when you say but they keep kept inviting you, who, these were presumably your the friends? The girls on your, my floor. The girls on your floor. Okay. Yeah. So clearly you were able to, to make some friends while you oh, were yeah. there. What was daily life like for you at Grambling? The weird thing about it is when I went to Eau Claire, um, we had a dorm shortage. So I never lived in a dorm until I got to Eau Claire. The whole community of our floor and everyone on the floor knowing your comings and goings, that was a little strange. So I hadn't lived in a dorm before. Um, definitely going to the cafeteria when I had been used to cooking on a hot plate, you know, in my room, going to the cafeteria. And I remember the, one of the first times I went to the cafeteria by myself, I thought, well, I'm going to get my tray of food and I'm going to go sit to the back of the cafeteria and, and nobody, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I hadn't met a lot of people again very early on. And, uh, so I sat down on this empty table at the back of the cafeteria started eating my breakfast and this big guy comes up to me and he puts his hand on the top of my head and his fingers come down across my eyes he had such big big hands and he goes hey little girl you're sitting at the football table and I thought I was gonna die and he goes but that's okay <laughs> and so he sat down and we chatted he talked he goes yeah you could sit here you know, I, I thought, well, football season's over. Do the football players still hang out after football season? I guess they do. I don't know. But um, so the food thing was an issue because, like I said, I never had grits before in my life. I had never had red beans and rice before in my life. I've actually thought grits were cream of wheat and tried to put some sugar on them. That didn't help. Um, and I do like grits now, but at the time, it was like, oh. And then... Uh, one of the other things in the cafeteria was I'm, we were sitting there eating supper one night and all of a sudden somebody yells stomp and everyone runs out to the quad. I didn't know why the cafeteria was clearing out. I just had no idea. Everyone cleared out of the cafeteria because one of the Greek, 
fraternities was out there um, doing a stomp. And I thought, what is going on at this school? Because I had never seen any of this stuff before. So kind of the socializing thing, I think because it was a smaller school, um, you, you saw people all the time. I mean, when I went to Eau Claire, uh, there were kids in my class in high school. I never saw the four years I was at school because it was a bigger school. You were walking the same path to and from classes. The library, you, you were always seeing people that you that recognized you or you had sat and ate lunch with or they were in your class. Um, so being in a smaller school was fantastic for me because it was such a small community. What about your classes? I had a lot of my classes, a lot of my English and history classes um, completed at Eau Claire. I doubled up on some library science classes at the time because I wanted okay. to get into research. Okay. Um, so I had two um, library science classes. I did have an American novel class, which was, I thought, I think the professor was, um, I think he was from India. I just remember he was a short little man and he wore like velvet suits all the time. And we did um, Moby Dick. I, I can't remember what other books we did at the time, but he he was very good. I had econ an economics class. Um, I think he was my only white professor. It was very strange because the only two days that they served pancakes was Thursdays and Fridays, and that was my economics class. So I missed that class quite a bit because that was the only two days they had pancakes <laughs> for breakfast. And so he stopped me one day and he said, um, you're going to have to start coming to class. He says, you're passing all the quizzes, but he says, when you're gone, people notice. So I said, okay. I started going to class and missing out on pancake day. I had a uh, art teacher. He was, I think he was going to retire because he wasn't showing up too often, but he was a really nice man too. He was very knowledgeable. When it comes to these classes, how do you feel like the classes compared to what you were doing at, at Eau Claire? All the professors um, that I, or all the teachers, even the teachers I had, um, you had a little bit more free. I think, I don't think the workload was as demanding. And maybe it was because I was a senior by the time I went there. Definitely didn't have to do as much reading. Um, used to doing more books than I would have done uh, in Eau Claire. The the teachers, I think, knew, in some respect, they knew what kids were there to uh, really push the limits to. It seemed that, like with my English professor, he he made sure that uh, he gave me some extra stuff to do just because I think he thought I was maybe just doing the basics. And uh, I know he I know he gave me a paperback one time and said, "You can do better." <laughs> And I redid it, um, and it was better, but uh, I thought I could get away with just doing a less insightful paper. I think it was, it had to do with um, Samuel Clements, and uh, he, he asked me um, point blank. He goes, okay, from the perspective of the author, I know he got angry at me because he goes, what side was Samuel Clements on when it came to the view of slavery? And I didn't know. And he said, well, before you write a paper, maybe you should. So he had, he says, you know your author before you write the book. And um, I don't think he demanded that too much out of some of the other students, but the ones that he picked on, I think he picked on for a reason.
and I'm glad he did now, but at the time I thought I was crushed. <laughs> but he was a very um, knowledgeable man. Can you talk a little more about the social scene at Grambling? Well, I the difference too with Eau Claire was I would go to class and I would either go to the library or I would I would come back to my apartment and I would study. Um, and at Eau Claire, um, I also had a job. I had a part-time job. So when I went to Grambling, I was basically job-free. So, and I lived in the dorm. Someone else was doing my cooking. You know, I didn't have to, you know, put my laundry in a bag and bike down to a laundromat. The laundry, you know, I had gone to the laundromat right there on campus. And so I had so much, I had more free time, I think. And again, then just I think the camaraderie of the floor or the whole dorm was there's a you know there would be a, a concert on Friday night and back in the day it was '79 so we saw Sister Sledge and we saw um, Rose Royce and you know all of these uh, they had great concerts and of course so many people that were there for music and dance or whatever they had. Um, an amazing talent show and things like that that I hadn't ever seen before and even just hanging out after school I mean I think because maybe a little bit of it was because of the weather you you know with snow on the ground you don't really hang out in the quad you could hang out outside um, people um, that you went to class with would usually be out there you could study outdoors so I think there was a lot more interaction and again maybe because of the weather maybe because it was a small school um, but it seemed like um, socializing was a lot more important to um, the smaller school. I think it. I, I think that um, you studied together more when you had um, classes together, and I wasn't used to that. I had never done that before. I remember going to. The li I I uh, I was really really disappointed in Grambling's library, um, so we went to um, Louisiana Tech in Ruston one one afternoon. I went to uh, check out some books, and the lady there told me I couldn't check out books because I had a Grambling ID. And um, this is where um, the other girl that went with me, Trisha, came unglued. And um, basically told the librarian that this was a state institution and we could check out anything we wanted to check out. So I think there was um, we didn't we still didn't get the books, but uh, I think that hit us a kind of hard that um, some other school in the in the whole area would deny us books based on the fact that we had Grambling ID cards or you know student ID cards. That was a, that was kind of a like a a moment that I I'll never forget it because she was that woman I I'll never forget it she was just such a snarky snarky evil woman she didn't like grambling I guess did you have any other experiences of this nature either at Tech or in Ruston or any of the other surrounding white communities and I don't even remember if it was a Walmart or if it was it was one of the stores in Ruston I had my Wisconsin driver's license and I had my 
uh, Graham. And at the time, I mean, you know, you think back now where everything is so easy to cash a check or do this. And um, I had a checkbook and um, I had my uh, Grambling post office ID um, address on, on my checkbook. And uh, I went to write a check, and she said, well, you can't use a Wisconsin driver's license for this. I said, well, I'm a student. She goes, well, I need to see your student ID card. I pulled out the Grambling card, my Grambling student ID card, and she didn't want to cash my check. I said, call the manager. And they finally cashed it. Hmm. But, yeah, that was that was another incident. Prevalency of um, racism was still going on, you know. I mean, it, I mean, it still goes on today, but you know what I'm saying? It was... Okay, why I why won't you take my money? I don't know if it's still true to this day, um, but Grambling was in a parish that was uh, a wet parish, and Ruston is in a parish that's a dry parish. Is that still true? Well, they're in the same parish, but uh, okay. there there were times when I I believe, and, and I'm not an expert on the alcohol laws, but I but I believe there were there were differences in the alcohol laws between Rustin and Grambling at one point. And, uh, yeah, okay, so I think back then, um, Rustin, um, kids, would, there was some liquor stores wherever the line was or where, wherever it was at the time, and um, um, it, uh, weekends and stuff, um, the kids from um, Tech would drive to the liquor store, and it was obviously, um, you know, a black-owned liquor store, and um, so if I was there with um, another Grambling student, and I just remember um, there was once, I don't know, we were walking to the post office or something, and we may have gone to the liquor store for something, who knows, but um, we had, um, there was two of the Mexican exchange students, too, were with us. They, um, some white kids um, yelled some stuff out the window, and um, the uh, black girl that I was with just basically yelled back at him, this is the freaking United Nations move on or something like real. And I thought, Oh my God, they're going to make the block and hurt us or something. But, um, they didn't, they were cowards, but, um, I thought, yeah, just, it, it was, it was a reminder of how stupid some people can be, but <laughs> it was, it was, it was different. You talked a little bit about the. You mentioned the food a little bit in the in the cafeteria, and one of the one of the things I always like to ask people is about the food because they um, everybody has an opinion on the food in the cafeteria. Uh, <laughs> so, what was yours? I lost fifteen pounds when I was there. Um, uh, the food was um, very b- basic and. I think at lunch lunchtime or suppertime, you had two choices. Um, the salad bar was just basically a bowl of lettuce. There was no salad dressings or anything out. It was it was pretty sad, and I don't I don't know you know like what other schools had had for. I I just know that when I first a few years later when I first moved to Texas, I actually worked in the food department. I did key punching for the University of Houston, and their food program was amazing. It was just. I'm like, I'm like, what the heck went on with Grambling? It was very, very, very limited, put it that way. And um, we were very thankful that um, once a week, um, and I'll never forget, Miss Watson would come to the dorm, and she made she made chili dogs. She had them wrapped up, and she was selling selling chili dogs in the to the dorms. 
the announcement would come on that Miss Watson's in the in the on, in the dorm with chili dogs, and everybody ran down there to get a chili dog. Yeah, food food in the cafeteria was l- limited to say the least. Yeah. It was pretty. It was pretty sparse, and but we ate it. I mean, it was it was good. I mean, what what we what choices we had, it was good. I don't think I ever had a hamburger there. It was always usually um, chicken or some kind of rice something. So um, I don't know if they were. I'm sure they were probably going through some kind of maybe financial issues with the cafeteria. I don't know. But now you've mentioned and the people, the kids from Louisiana. Uh, that's another thing. The kids from Louisiana always carried a bottle of hot sauce in their backpacks. I thought that was weird. I thought, um, yeah, they all they all had a bottle of hot sauce in their backpacks, and they'd pull it out, hmm. sprinkle it on their food, and it was, I thought, okay, that's a little different. You've mentioned some of the, uh, or, or one of the other people who was in the, in the program with you, uh, Patricia. Patricia, yeah. Tr- Tricia, she went by. Was it just the two of you? Were you the only two from Wisconsin that semester? Yes. Okay. Did you know her before you went? No. Okay. But you said that the two of you became friends as part of this while you were part of this program? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's that's fantastic. So did you spend did you hang out together? Um quite while a you bit. Um she she had a different um set of classes. We didn't have any classes together or anything. She was into uh, computer science and biology. Um, we didn't have any classes together, but um, we hung, we hung out together. And um, my roommate at the time um, was um, doing grad work, so actually, Chris uh, Trisha didn't have a roommate at the time. And my uh, roommate um, asked um, if she could have more privacy, so I just moved in with Trisha. I yeah. just moved down the hall. Did you still in '79? Was there a dorm mother um, for your dorm? Yes. Okay. Yes. What, what was your relationship with that person like? I just remember her being very, very nice, and there was—I don't remember what time the curfew was. I, I'm kind of thinking—I don't remember the curfew was at ten, and then on weekends it was at midnight. I'm not quite sure. There was—and I don't know how this how this happened to come about, but. Um, because usually um, they don't do pledging at our, like the school. I was they, the pledging for any sorority or fraternities was usually in the fall of the year, but for some reason Grambling did pledging like in the spring or I don't know maybe all year round. The one of the maybe it could have been more than one fraternity. I'm not sure, but they thought it was really cool to find the white girl and make these pledges do things with the white girl like. Um, carry my books to class. And I go, no, you're not carrying my books to class. Okay, if I don't, then my older brother, my big brother or whatever, um, I'm pledging. I have to do this for the pledge. Or they would um, walk me, like if I was at the library at night or something like that, they'd go, um, they'd sit there and say, I need to walk you back to your dorm as part of my pledge. Things like that. And I mean, I'm going, okay, if this is part of your pledge, fine, but I'm going to carry my own stuff. Okay, okay, fine, okay. So um, w- one night I was, I was, I left the library a little late. I don't even remember why, but I, I was, it was a few minutes after 10, and the 
uh, um, and the house mother, she had to open the door for me and saw me standing there with another, with a, you know, um, a pledge. And she kind of stared at me and she goes, she said something like, don't let this happen again. And, and she looked at him and she just gave him this look like, you make sure my girl is in this dorm at 10. And he's like, yes, ma'am. And he just ran off. She was always very, very nice. I, I, I don't remember what her name was. She was, um, she was definitely the mother hen of the roost. And you said yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, to her. She was, um, she was, she was the, I guess, the epitome of. And again, I've never lived in a dorm before, but from what you see in movies and things with the dorm moms back in the day, she was that typical dorm mom. Do you happen to remember what dorm you lived in by any chance? Martha Adams. Martha Adams. Okay. You know, what parts of this experience did you bring back with you? Um, I think it just gave me the confidence to do what I what um, I wanted to do in life. And, um, you know, because I did this uh, when I gra- as soon as I graduated, a, year, yeah, a semester later, um, I moved to Texas. Like I said, I worked at the University of Houston um, for a while. I was going to do keep. I was going to do key punching and get my residency. I was going to work a year and get my residency um, in the state of Texas, and then go back to school. And that was that was kind of my plan. And um, I actually started working construction. Anytime someone would tell me that, well, you can't do that or you don't know how to do that, um, that's a challenge. That I'm going to go do whatever it takes to prove you wrong. So I think in that respect, it just gave me a lot of confidence that I can do anything I set my mind to. I'll always be thankful for that. And I think, I think it also taught me that uh, even if uh, when someone offers you an opportunity to try something different that you've never done before, um, go ahead. I mean, as long as it's not illegal or anything, you go ahead and do it. And um, in that regard, uh, even when I was working construction, kind of interest, kind of a silly story, but uh, I was working construction and we had some bees that got up under one of the trailers that I worked at and um, they hired a professional bee extractor to come out and I stood out there and watched him and he was crawling in and back and forth under the trailer and finally I go, is there anything I can get you out of your truck? And he said, yeah, go get this. And he, and he said, aren't you afraid? I said, um, as long as I stand back, I think I'm okay. So when um, he came out and finished up getting the bees out, he goes, uh, do you want to come work for me on weekends? And I said, sure. So I worked with a professional beekeeper that had over 600 hives um, in Texas, and he had transported the bees to uh, Florida and, and South Texas um, to pollinate the orange groves. And I worked with him a few years and learned a lot about bees. And, you know, anytime someone offers me an opportunity to learn something I've never tried before, I'm the first person to go for it. I just go out for it. And, you know, and I think um, just my experience with Grambling um, taught me I can handle anything. I can do anything. And even if I fail, I tried, you know, and, and, uh, in that regard, um, I, I have to credit Grambling for that. You've been listening to the Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history podcast, a production of the students and faculty of the Grambling State University History Department, along with faculty at the University of Arkansas. 
be sure to listen in to one of our other episodes. And if you have a voice you would like to share or have a nomination for a voice that needs to be heard, please contact the History Department of Grayling State University for more information.